0: Alright, well let's take our Bibles and go to there to Ephesians chapter 6 and we begin uh, the second half of this. We talked about Ephesians chapter 5 and husbands and wives and wives submit, husbands love and uh, the aspect of marriage <clears throat> and now we see children obey. Ephesians 6 verse 1, children obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 9 verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of of wisdom the fear of the lord is the beginning of wisdom obedience the definition is compliance with a command submission to authority yielding to orders and performing what is required obedience Uh, children obey children obey so we have wives submit we have husbands love we have children obey number one obedience is to be expected And uh, let me just say that when it comes to young people, young people, as are all human beings, young people especially, though, uh, do exactly what they're expected to do. If you raise the bar, they'll hit it. If you lower the bar, that's where they'll go. Children basically do what they're expected to do. If you say, Johnny, stop doing that, but you don't really mean it, it isn't long before Johnny knows you don't mean it. And so you say, Johnny, stop doing that. Johnny, stop doing that. Johnny, Johnny! And then you yell. All of a sudden, Johnny, okay, now he means it. Because he's yelling. So now I'm getting close to the, to, uh, the cross in the line here. So children, children know where their boundaries are. They, they learn it one way or the other. And <clears throat> so children, uh, need to understand that obedience is expected. And why is that? Well, again, we have a heavenly father. And how does he expect us to obey? Does he say it three or four times and then finally really mean it? No. Thank you. I see water coming. Thank you. Appreciate that. Uh, Obedience is to be expected. Uh, When should that expectation begin? Thank you. Um, Well, Proverbs 19, verse 18 says, Chasten thy son while there is hope. You know, that gives me the idea that there is a window of time. And um, when it comes to training our children... Uh, it's kind of like training a young plant, a young tree. When they're a sapling, you can bend it. That tree can be bent. But there comes a point in time where you just can't bend that tree anymore. same thing with training uh, a young animal. We have a puppy right now. We just got a puppy uh, a couple weeks ago, and uh, we're in the training process. Or I think maybe it's training us. I'm not sure which. Uh, but while there is hope, because after a while they become a monster and it's too late. And so while there is hope and so train them up and train them up early, uh, the Bible says in Psalm 58 verse three, that children are born from the womb. And, uh, as, and when they, they come speaking lies, they go astray as soon as they be born. And, and we need to understand something as human beings. I believe this. I, I, I believe this all my heart. Most children understand more than they want you to know. They understand. Most children get, and they have a communication ability that's higher than we give them credit for. Uh, they know when we mean no. They understand. They understand what we expect from them. And uh, <clears throat> my my wife, m- let me just stop here and say this. Children either train, either get trained or they do the training. I think a lot of times parents are the ones that get trained. Yeah. Uh, my wife was, was in a, a rut like that one time uh, where... My daughter, the one that just got married last week, she had my wife wrapped around her, her finger. She knew how to, how to make mom do what she wanted. And what she would do is she would just start crying in the crib. ah, And there was nothing wrong. And I figured out after a while that my daughter's just playing my wife here. My, my daughter's just making my wife get out of bed, go find out what's wrong, and there's nothing wrong. She just wants mom to come hug her one more time, Whoop, oopsie, whoopsie, and whatever it might be. <clears throat> and so I had had enough of it, and finally one night I said, so don't move, just stay here. And I got out of bed and I got over to the hallway and got over to where her room was and the, the door was open but there was that crack you know, in the door where the hinges are and I could see, first I wanted to make sure there wasn't something wrong, like her leg was stuck in, in between the slats of the crib or something like that, and it wasn't and everything's fine. And, and here's what she's doing, she's got her face in between the slats of the crib and she's going Wah! Wah! and then and then after a while she stopped and she'd look at the and then she remembered, oh yeah, I'm supposed to be crying. Ah! And I'm watching this. There's nothing wrong with her. There's absolutely nothing wrong with her. And uh, and yet she, and, and and you know what she's doing? Let me tell you what she's doing. She's lying. That's what she's doing, okay? She's lying. Alright? Now she's not doing it in English, but she's lying. Alright? And so I just I'm just kind of watching and I'm getting I'm getting my head a little farther into the doorway. And, uh, and I'm just kind of leaning in, and she's just, and she's doing her thing. Ah! And finally, out of the peripheral, she sees me. And when she sees me, I just said, lay down and go to sleep. And she's scared of Dad. She wasn't scared of Mom, but she was scared of Dad. And she just looked at me, and her eyes got real big, and she just dropped straight down, and we never heard one more word the rest of the night. I went back to bed, and I said, she's got you trained. We got to fix that. Now, I'm not picking on my wife when I say that, but it happens, and it can happen easily to the mom because that tugs at her heartstrings. Her baby is crying, but obedience is to be expected. They're liars at an early age, and they'll pretend, and they'll play dumb. Uh, They're not. They just want you to think they are. They want you to think they don't understand, and so I do believe that Children can be expected to obey, and our Heavenly Father expects us to obey. And if you'll read the Word of God, you'll notice that He doesn't tell us three or four times and then say, okay, now I mean it. That doesn't work that way. That's not how how He treats us and His children. Why obey? Well, first of all, because God said so. That ought to be enough. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Why? Because it is right, for this is right. And also, thirdly, because it's good for you. Look at verse three: that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. We deal with spoiled children. We have children in our church. We have children sometimes come stay with us in our home, and children get spoiled, and and they they start to think that their life's miserable because they have to obey. And and you see these pouties, you know, oh, hurt my feelings. What's he? What's he doing? He's making me obey. He's on so me. And and they don't understand how miserable their lives are, because they just they, they work at they, they use so much energy trying to disobey, you work a, work up work up a, a sweat trying to get out of doing work instead of just doing it in the first place. Why obey? Because it will bring a blessing. It'll actually be good for you. Obedience is to be expected. And uh, secondly then, parents, obedience needs to be defined. I've been hitting on this already, but we need to define what we mean by obedience. First of all, immediately. Immediately. Did you know if you read closely in the Word of God, God told His people a lot of times to do something and He didn't tell them why? The favorite question I had when I was a kid was, why? Because I said so, that's why. Oh, that's mean. Oh, you're the parent. See, there's something we need to talk about again tonight, and that is authority. There's such a lack of understanding for authority. You might be a parent who has a, a, a past that you're not very proud of, and that's, that's understandable. But let me tell you something. Don't let, don't let the devil give you a guilt trip because you weren't a perfect human being that you can't take authority as a parent. God gave you those kids to you, and you need to teach them the importance of authority. And you need to explain to them what you mean by obedience. It needs to be immediate. We've talked before and we've used illustrations of different stories. I remember one story where uh, I heard as a boy about a missionary who was walking through the jungle with his son. His son was up ahead and his son full energy and he's climbing a tree. And all of a sudden the missionary looked at his son climbing the tree and said, Johnny, jump down now. He said, my son, because he was taught to obey, jumped down and ran back to me. I'm so thankful that he obeyed me, because right there in that tree, he couldn't see it. But there was this poisonous snake just waiting for him to get a little higher. Um, I thought of that story, and I just re- I thought about how that, well, why do I have to jump down? through I'm having fun. And uh, it, we need to understand the importance of immediate obedience. Isn't that how God expects us to obey? Well, I'll get to it, God. Just I'll put it on my to-do list. I'll get to it. No, no. Obedience needs to be defined. It needs to be immediate. God doesn't always tell us why either, but we know he's right. And so we just need to obey. It also needs to be cheerful. Psalm 40 and verse 8 says, I delight to do thy will, O God. I don't believe in my, in my family. We never tolerated this idea of, okay, <clears throat> that's not obedience in our home, okay? They might have actually done whatever, you know, took out the garbage, but they stomped on the way out the door and threw a fit. That wasn't obedience, that's not tolerated. We, we, don't, we don't accept that. And, and your heavenly father doesn't. I delight to do thy will, O God. And it needs to be complete, not partial. You remember the story of King Saul? I've obeyed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel said, then how come I'm hearing sheep and oxen out back? You didn't obey God's commandment completely, 1 Samuel 15. What did Samuel tell Saul? obedience is better than sacrifice. And rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. There's a lot of rebellious spirit in the world today, and and it's in church too. Well, I did exactly what the Bible said. No, you didn't. There wasn't complete obedience there. Partial obedience isn't, isn't enough. It needs to be complete. And the more we teach that to our children, the more we're preparing them for when they are... Under our Heavenly Father alone. And we're out of the picture. Don't don't you understand that as a parent. I'm preparing those children. For when they begin to walk with God. See. When they're my children. They might not even be saved yet. Which means they're not born again. Which means he's not their father. But when they get saved. Then I'm going to. I'm introducing them to a Heavenly Father. Who they'll be with longer than they'll be with me. And I want to teach them the importance of being immediate in their obedience and cheerful and complete. I think this is good advice. I think if you have a child in your home, especially a younger child, and you're training them, that you should ask them to do something contrary to their plans, on purpose. None of the children said amen just now. Maybe while they're playing with their trucks or their toys or something like that, and you just, out of the blue, say, hey, I want you to get up and I want you to go. And they're having fun. I want you to get up and I want you to go out and I want you to unload the groceries. or I want you, And you interrupt their fun. Now, I know most mothers are like, oh, that's so cruel. And they're not doing anything wrong. They're being so nice. Why would you just interrupt their happiness? Hey, did you know that God does that? Did you know God does that? Have you read Genesis 22? Abraham's having a blast with his, his boy. And God comes out of the blue and says, go kill him. What? What was God doing? Everybody knows what God was doing. He's testing him. We need, to, we need to not be afraid to give our children a test once in a while. Because the real world's going to give them a test. We need to be aware of that and understand it. Obedience, we need to understand what we mean by obedience and, and define it. We had a, t- a time for a while in our home where every time somebody called, every time somebody would call, my wife would be on the phone. And she's taught as soon as she got on the phone, it was like my oldest, I don't know if it was the oldest one, but that, it was like, Mom's on the phone, let's tear the place apart. <laughs> and 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 it's like it was like all of a sudden every I mean World War 3 broke out. <laughs> you know, and it's like because mom's on the phone and she can't do anything about it cuz she's on the phone. And I just it just got to be a weird habit. So after we got ourselves a cell phone, I said to my wife, I said, "Look, I'm going to leave and I'm going to drive down the road. I'll be about a mile or two down the road. I'm going to call you." And and uh, when the phone rings, you answer and you start talking. And then when they do their r- normal routine, you just all of a sudden with one hand, with the phone in one hand, you just start laying it on them. And so she did. They were shocked because mom never used to spank us when she's on the phone because she don't want the person on the phone to know what's going on. And, and what? We we're trying to beat them at their own game. That's what we're trying to do. <laughs> see, I think, ha- I think 50% of being a parent is trying to stay smarter than the kid. I really do. I think it's just about staying a step ahead of them and what they're trying up to next. Obedience is to be expected. Obedience is to be defined. And obedience must be implemented. Um, the responsibility lies with the parents. And uh, instead of them training you, the Bible says in Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he'll not depart from it. It's our job to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Um, Psalm 127, we read that this morning, and the preacher was talking about this morning. Children are a heritage. They're a blessing from the Lord. Part of the problem is we forget where they came from. God gave them to us. They're a blessing. They're a heritage from God. What that means is, is that He gave them to us. I mean, if you've had children and you've been in there when they were born and you've been in the room, it's like, my firstborn is like, this is a miracle. This is amazing. And the first thing I did, I don't know, what I'm counting all the fingers, all the toes, you know, I'm, I don't know what I'm going to do if they're missing. What am I going to do? you know? But I'm counting them all, you know, as if that makes a difference or something, you know. What am I do? File a complaint or what? I mean, <laughs> but it's like, and it's like, you dummy, this is, nothing, this is a gift from God. God did this. This is a miracle every time a baby is born. And somewhere along the line in the last 22 and a half years, I started to forget where my daughter came from and who gave me to her. Gave her to me. And so when it's time to give her, bu- give her up, i got to remember, that's why he gave her to me, to raise her. You know the parable of the talents? You have five and you gain five more. The whole idea is that God gave her to me and I need to return her even better shape than I got her. I need to train her. This is why spoiling children is so wrong. I mean, the idea of spoiling anything is wrong. You're wasting the potential. You're wasting the value. Today, the world says, oh, it's just wonderful, you spoil. Spoils horrible. The world spoils everything. Satan spoils things. But children are a heritage. They're a reward to be appreciated. They are arrows. The Bible calls them as, as, as arrows in the quiver of a mighty man. Arrows to be used. That's what arrows are for. And they ought not be an embarrassment. And they shouldn't be ashamed of themselves if they're raised right. And so the idea of obedience, it must be implemented. We're to teach and train and show what we mean. There are three R's that my friend uh, Dave Sommerdorf gave in, in his outline when he taught on the family. The three R's of child rearing, respect. First R, respect for authority. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I, uh, I still drive a school bus. have been doing it for years. I don't do it mostly now for the income as much as just the contact with the families in our community. But I, I like to drive. But I can tell you, driving a school bus over the last 20 years has changed. And even before that, the old timers will tell you, it used to be when you drove a school bus and you had somebody on the bus that was misbehaving, you just pull over on the side of the road. The old, old-timers said, you pull over to the side of the road, whipped out your belt, and just give him a whooping right there on the bus. He's, and, and the old-timers, they say, well, we pull over, and we pull up, open the door and say, out, you're walking the rest of the way. But the times are changing. And it's not, but you know, what the, what the reason for all this is, is a, is a lack of respect for authority. When I was a kid, we were not allowed to call them Cops. We were supposed to refer to them as the police officer or with a respectful title. Respect for authority. When I was a boy, my dad said things like, you get in trouble at school, you get in double trouble at home. You get spanked at school, you're getting another one when you get home. By the way, my school spanked. Respect for authority. I think this is good advice. When your child is old enough to communicate, and it's not long before you communicate with other ways, but when they are old enough enough to verbally communicate and have an understanding of things, and they're beginning to be able to have a conversation with you, I think it's important that we teach them about a holy, righteous God who is to be feared before we even tell them about what Jesus did. You know why? Because they need to understand and appreciate why Jesus did what he did. Because the holy, righteous God demands payment for sin. They need to understand they're sinners. To a holy God, they have committed sin. And after they understand that they are sinners, then introduce them to what Jesus did on the cross to pay for their sin. Why? Because that provides that fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom. I do think that, and like it says in Proverbs chapter 4, that uh, fathers, well, let me just read it to you. Proverbs chapter 4, and I'll and, uh, give you the, the sense here. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 1. <clears throat> Hear ye, in ch- children, the instruction of a father, and attend to no understanding. For I give you good doctrine. Forsake ye not my law. For I was my father's son, tender and only beloved in the sight of my mother. He taught me also, and said unto me, let thine... Heart, retain my words. Keep my commandments and live. (laughs) Obey and stay alive. I mean, that's what Ephesians says. That's what the the Ten Commandments say. That it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. A respect for authority. I just read it this morning in my Bible reading. In Deuteronomy chapter 21, at the end of the chapter, it says if a man or a woman... Parents have a stubborn, rebellious child who will not obey the voice of their father and the voice of their mother. They are to take them to the, the local officials and they are to report that their son is stubborn and rebellious. He's getting drunk. He's just a stubborn, rebellious drunkard. And they are to stone him with stones. Why? A respect for authority. You know what I think? I think that's in the Bible to remind us that's God's attitude towards disobedience and rebellion to authority. That's God's attitude towards it. Can you imagine if our, if every one of our towns, if every one of our cities had a pile of rocks? What's that pile of rocks? Oh, well, that's Leroy. He's under there. What did Leroy do? He just mouthed off to his parents, went and got drunk and was a re, just a rebel. How many, how many piles of rocks would there need to be? Not very many. That's the point. The respect for authority. Respect. <clears throat> you know, I mentioned God is my heavenly father. You know, God is not my buddy. Some, well, I, I want to be best buds with my kid. So I don't want to ever treat them like I'm the authority. I want to be buddies. You know, I think that's probably when you get to be grandparent age. But those children need... To understand, you're not just their buddy. You're the father. You're the parent. I'm not saying that I don't have a relationship that's fun with my kids. Trust me, when I walk in, <laughs> that's not what happens at our home. But, but I'm not just trying to be their buddy. Especially in the younger years, they understood that dad was dad. And, and uh, there was a respect. A respect for authority. The second R is a restraint teaching them restraint, self-discipline. You know, we're not born with it. Uh, it doesn't come just naturally. And, of course, we can look at some other Proverbs chapters. Proverbs chapter 23, and we see passages in the Bible concerning uh, discipline. Proverbs 23 and verse 13 and 14. Withhold not correction from the child, for if thou beatest him with the rod, he shall not die. Thou shalt beat him with the rod, and shalt deliver his soul from hell, now I don't believe the Bible's saying that if you spank your kids a lot, they'll they'll just automatically get saved because you spanked them a lot. But I think when you take all things into consideration and you realize why you're doing it, you're spanking them because they disobeyed God, they did they sinned, and that's why they need to spank him. By the way, let me just stop and say that that's the problem, I think, is that we forget that when the Bible says something and our child disobeys, it needs to be dealt with immediately, even if it doesn't offend us as a parent. There's a lot of kids out there that need to get more spankings, but they're not. Why? Because the parent don't care if they did that. And they're not learning restraint. Proverbs chapter 29 and verse 15 and 17, the rod and reproof give wisdom. But a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. Verse 17 says, Correct thy son, he shall give thee rest. Yea, he shall give delight unto thy soul. Years ago, we just moved to where we live now. And we have a long gravel road that we live on. And down at the end of the road, it goes downhill. Down at the end of the road, there's a highway. It's, it's about 50, 60, miles, 60 mile an hour highway right at the end of our road. Our mailbox is across the highway on the other side. And so when when we were first there, and our children were young, I think our oldest was five, we, we said to them, you are not allowed to ride your bikes past this pole right here. And only the oldest is allowed to walk from this last power pole, the rest of the 50 yards, across the highway, and get the mail and come back. And then we looked at them with the meanest look we had on our faces and we got our eyeball right to their eyeball. And we said, if we ever catch you, if we ever catch any one of you on your bike or elsewise past this power pole right here, we will give you the worst spanking you've ever gotten in your life. And I mean, we tried to look like we meant it and like they were even in tears because we were nerd already <laughs> just thinking about them crossing the road. Why? Well, you're so mean. No, because there are trucks that go down that highway at 55 miles an hour. That's why. And a spanking on their backside, even if it's the worst one they ever got, isn't going to do as much damage as that, uh, damage as that truck's going to do. We're just trying to help them to under, and, and to teach them restraint. Look with me in 1 Samuel chapter 2. 1 Samuel chapter 2. This is not restraint. 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 22. Now, Eli, that was an old, fat priest. Eli, First Samuel two twenty-two. Now, Eli was very old and heard all, heard all that his sons did unto all Israel, and how they lay with the women that assembled at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And he said unto them, Why do you such things? for I hear of your evil dealings by all this people. Nay, my sons, for it is no good report that I hear. I don't know if he said it quite like that. That's how I read it. He he didn't restrain them. He just said, naughty, naughty. You're not being good boys. And my guess is he'd been doing that for a long time whining at them and complaining at their behavior. Why do you have to be like this? Hey, dummy, you're the dad. What do you mean, why do you have to be like this? Why do you have to be like this? Now, we're talking about restraint. Look at chapter 3, verse 13. Here's what God said to Samuel. First Samuel three thirteen. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever. For the iniquity which he knoweth, he knows. Because his sons made themselves vile, and he, what? Restrained them not. He didn't do any restraining. He didn't try to stop them or take care of it. My opinion is, if you feed them, you ought to be able to control them. If you're paying the room and board, you you have the right to tell them what to do. And it's not just for your own sake. It's not just for your own peace of mind. It's so that they'll learn to have some self-restraint as well. So that they'll learn to understand how to have self-discipline and trust the Lord to help them with it. A respect for authority, a restraint. And then the third R is responsibility, a responsibility for actions. That's what the Bible teaches So then every one of us will give an account of himself to God. There is responsibility for actions. We need to understand that and recognize that. We are responsible for our actions. The Bible teaches us that. We know that. So we have to teach that and train our children to understand that, to recognize that. Look with me in Hebrews chapter number 12. Hebrews chapter number 12. And verse 6, verse 5 says, And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure in chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? If you're saved, you're getting spanked from God once in a while. If you're saved, God has gotten after you for things in your life that He wants you to be disciplined for and to train you. <clears throat> verse, verse 8 says, But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all, that meaning all children, are partakers, it says, Then are ye bastards and not sons. This is why the word's a bad word, because it means you're fatherless. Is that what you want for a child? Someone who never gets chastened, whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth. Chasten thy son while there is hope. Let not thy soul spare for his crying. Teach them that you love them by being willing to discipline them. Now, if you're like me, I'll tell you what happens. You're having a long day. You're stressed. You're tired. You sit down in your lazy boy chair. You kick it up. And just about that time, there's some kind of something going on in the other room. And you're like, oh, I just want to pretend like I can't hear that. And maybe you could even turn on music or TV or something or put earbuds and and you can't hear it. Look, you're not spanking them just because you want peace and quiet. You're spanking them because they need to learn to obey. And sometimes it's a hassle. I don't know about you, but my kids just never seem to disobey at convenient times. It's always inconvenient. And sometimes it's just plain old laziness on our part. The Bible says, God said, he knew his sons did wickedly, and he restrained them not. And he paid for it. I want to show you something concerning Eli, the priest. Go with me to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. Maybe Eli the priest said, Well, after all, I'm a priest. I do lots of hard work for lots of people. And my sons, they get picked on because they're PKs, priest kids. People just need to mind their own business. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 4 it's talking about the bishop or the pastor, it's talking about the things that God expects of the pastor. And there's a verse in the Bible, the whole verse is a parenthesis. And verse 4 says, One that ruleth well his his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. And here's the parenthesis. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? My kids weren't perfect, they still aren't. But I knew and I told them, and I showed them and taught them what this verse says. If, if what I preach can't be practiced in my own family, how's anybody else going to pay attention to it and believe it? And by the way, I, I do think that, that sometimes a pastor's kids might, a kid might have some issues just so the pastor can demonstrate to the rest of the church what you do when, you, when your child's having a problem. But you also demonstrate how to fix it. I'm sure your pastor is doing that. But you know there are pastors who have great ministries. But their own kids are an embarrassment. I, I know of Dr. Big Shots that might even have colleges that they are in charge of. But they got a child that's fornicating they got a child who's getting drunk. And they might excuse it by saying, well, I minister to lots of people. Hey, according to that verse, you need to take care of your house. Ruling our children in our own house well. Why? Because God takes it seriously. I'm not a Dr. Big Shot, and I don't have a church of a, with a large population but I'd much rather have children who are a blessing to the Lord and who are not an embarrassment and who do practice what their dad preaches. I'm thankful. I don't have perfect children, but my youngest two are preaching today for me in my stead right now. I'm thankful for my family. I'm thankful for the children God's given us. But we're not perfect. We're not saying we are. But young people... Especially those of you, if your dad's in ministry, this is important. It's also for the deacons as well. Why? So that the ministry's not blasphemed, so the word of God's not blasphemed, so that people can't point a finger. Now, there are times where I have to practice what I preach. And probably one of the hardest things for a father to do, as I go into the last part of this, is to say, I'm sorry. Remember the old Fonzie TV show? I was, ruh, ruh, I was, ruh, ruh. couldn't say I was wrong. <laughs> Boy, I tell you, when you're a preacher and you're a pastor and you're the, you're the dad and you're the ramrod and you're just, and all of a sudden the guy that needs to stand up in front of his family and, and apologize is you dads let me remind you of something as we as we go to that last verse in verse 4 and fathers provoke not your children to wrath why is it that pastors kids sometimes go bad maybe because there's some hypocrisy they're seeing there maybe what's being preached isn't what's being practiced maybe there's a demand for for apology but it's never something that he gives And I'm going to tell you right now, there's never been one time where I'm like going, oh goody, I get to apologize to my family tonight. I'm so excited. (laughs) Ah, it's my pride. But the Holy Spirit's saying, but you're going to teach them more tonight with that humble apology than you've been trying to teach them for the last year. By the way, as parents, we can complain about our children not obeying. But what if our children see us, who are supposed to be God's children, not obeying? What if your child hears your pastor teaching and preaching on something, and yet they know you're not doing it? You're just kind of ignoring that one. And, and, and they, they see that. And your fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So that's the last one. Wives submit. Husbands love. Children obey. Fathers provoke not. You know the responsible party is dad. The, the, the responsible one, the head of the home, is dad. Um, divorce hurts kids the most. And uninvolved dads have the most negative impact on the family. We're not to provoke them to wrath. And one thing that's desperately lacking, I know my brother-in-law in Belarus years ago said one of the saddest things that he observes is how that most of the men are just drunks. And the wives, the women are trying to keep the family together and keep the bills paid. And I don't think it's just one country. I think there's a lot of things. And I think our own country has that problem. Fathers might not be drunk on alcohol, but maybe they're drunk on fishing and hunting or just making more money or football or whatever it might be. And they're just kind of wall, And they're not paying attention and leading the home. I don't know about you, but I know that sometimes when a certain couple or family comes to church, I know it was mom's idea to come. That's sad. That's wrong. That father's teaching his children, especially his sons, to do the same thing when they, when they get older. The Bible teaches us that the dad is a responsible party. I um, said that I placed my daughter's hand into the hand of another man just last week when they got married. Do you know who the first person to say I do at a wedding is? It's the dad. First person to say I do at a wedding is the dad. Because it all starts with his permission. With his approval. And I, and I, know, I know she would have done it as much as it would have been horrible. But if I had told her just a week ago, I'm not going to do this. She might have said, Dad. But she didn't known not in a minute. Because that's not just supposed to be a ceremony. It's supposed to be, I'm the man of this house. I'm the man of this girl. And now I'm giving her over to be under the authority of this man. And the first one to say, I do, is, is the dad. I do. I think that comes out of the Bible. In Numbers chapter 30, it talks about how that if a, a, a daughter pay, vows a vow the father can say, no, no, I'm going to nix that. And then when she has a husband, she can vow a vow, but the husband can say, no, no, I'm going to nix that. There's a principle in the Bible about the man having authority over. And that's why there's so much weight here when it says, you fathers provoke not your children to wrath. You can complain about the wife all you want. But who picked her? Well, she wasn't ugly and fat 20 years ago. Dude, you picked her. And you probably had something to do with that too. Your fathers provoke not your children. In other words, to stir them up in anger and challenge. This can happen in four different ways. Unfair treatment, losing control, losing your temper. having favorites you want to read a sad story a sad family story in the bible read about jacob and esau and their parents you talk about a dad who had a problem with playing favorites and a mom who had a favorite esau was dad's favorite because he was the hunter and jacob was mom's favorite because he did the dishes i don't know I'm sorry, but you just, you read into that, it's like, man, there's problems here. I can just see Isaac, hey boys, let's go hunting. Yeah, okay. I think I'll stay home and help mom do dishes. (laughs) I, I just think that Isaac should have grabbed him and said, dude, you're coming with me. We need to do a little more man time here. I don't know, I'm just reading into it, but. But obviously when they got to be young grown men there was a problem. Because because somebody's playing favorites. Isaac's favorite was Esau. Rebecca's favorite was Jacob. It turned into a huge problem. And they ended up lying to each other and sneaking around and pretending. Unfair treatment. Unkind words. Name calling and labelling. Criticism without compliment. I don't think it's wrong to criticize as long as you are going to compliment as well when they do well. And unkept promises. Be careful you don't make vows you can't keep. And of course the biggest vow that you can blow it is if you leave the mother that you promised to stay with all your life. They know you said till death do you part. But you parted anyway. How are they supposed to respect that? And if it's too late for you in that area, at least be humble enough to say, man, I blew it. I'm so sorry. Unkept promises to our spouse. Years ago, my my wife babysat for somebody and they were getting ready to go on a family vacation. And the dad was so mad at the young boy that he said, if you don't stop, you're not going with us on vacation. I mean, we're talking about a five-year-old kid. It's like, dude, you're not leaving your five-year-old kid behind while the rest of you go on vacation. That was stupid. Don't lie to them. It'd been better to just give them a spanking than tell them a lie and give them an empty threat. Don't don't make empty threats you can't keep. Don't make promises you're not going to keep. Inconsistent example, unstable, unreliable. Your fathers provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That's going to require time. I like fishing. I do not like taking little kids fishing. They never been before? You ever anybody here ever take a kid fishing? Never been before? You don't fish. You just try to untangle stuff the whole day. Try to dodge hooks as they're flying by. Swim after poles that they dropped in the water. You don't fish. I love fishing, but not with kids. But guess what? How do kids learn how to fish? Who who, who should teach a boy how to fish? I'm thinking probably the dad. It takes time and attention. And there's so many things that are stealing our time that seems so important. That thing in our pocket that we think is so important we've got to look at it all the time. The TV and the PC and the job and the sports and whatever else it might be. Do you have your child's heart? Malachi chapter 4, I think it's the last verse of the Old Testament. Malachi chapter 4 says this, verse 5 and 6, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers lest I come and smite the earth with a curse do you have their heart my daughter they wanted to do a picture where I'm standing looking out at the scenery behind the church and she's coming up behind I haven't seen her yet in her white dress and she's coming up behind so the photographer's there and then finally she says okay dad I'm here Turn around, look like you're surprised. So I turn around, and there she is in her white dress. And she's got this little square box. It's a gift. And she gives it to me. And uh, I give her a hug, and I ask her, are you sure you don't want to change your mind? I'll let you talk on the phone more. I'll let you have more visits. No Selfish." (laughs) I went back into my office and I opened up the box. It was a tin. And inside was a fossil watch. Never heard of it. Fancy watch. Fossil. And underneath the watch was this this card. Dear Dad, no no note or gift could equal what you've done for me. But I do want to thank you for the years of love, counsel, and discipline you've shown to me. I never thought this day would actually come, and now it's hard to believe it's here, exclamation point, heart, heart, heart. It's because of you and mom that I am ready for it with the joy of being in God's will and no regrets. Thank you for being the dad God wants you to be. I'm thankful that my daughter got married with my blessing and that I had her heart. And I could give it away. Nobody stole it. I could give her heart to someone else. Turning the hearts of the fathers to the children. And the children's hearts to the fathers. That's God's desire for us. Don't allow someone else to steal your child's heart. Because of activities that aren't good for them. Music that's bad for them. Movies and TV programs and associations and friends. Beware of those dating years. My daughter had other guys that were interested in her. But thankfully, because we had some strict guidelines, she never ever got damaged by anybody. And she learned some lessons along the way just from guys that proved to be what they weren't, what they said they were. But praise God that no one stole her heart. Be, be very aware how precious that is as a, as a parent. Do you promote a godly heritage in your family? I mentioned that a little bit ago about the parentheses and how if a man can't rule his own house, how can he take care of the church of God? I don't, I don't know why, but it's just been an irritation to me. I was talking to Pastor Murtry about it earlier, but there's this guy, he promotes couples retreats don't know much about him, but I see him on social media promoting marriage retreats and marriage counseling and couples retreats. And then I see his own son out there ridiculing Independent Baptists and King James Bible. And I'm like, dude, you shouldn't be promoting couples retreats. You should be home figuring out what you didn't do right at home, not trying to tell the rest of us how to run our home. I'm sorry. I'm offended by that. We don't need more couples retreats. We just need every one of us to be honest with God. (laughs) Where does the Bible say, go out to all the world and have couples retreats? Maybe we ought to just practice what the Word of God says in our local churches. Maybe we ought to just go back to what the book says and let God's Word in His local church that He invented. By the way, God invented church and He invented the book. If He thought we needed more than that, He'd He'd have told us. I'm not saying a retreat is wrong. But silly, silly people in this world package some idea that they've got a better way than God's word and his ways. You just, you just follow the book. When my parents were young Christians, they took us to church. They didn't send us to church. They took us. And we went for everything. We were there for whatever they had going on. Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night soul winning program and any other opportunities that the church had and things going on that's where they wanted us to be and i grew up that way i grew up in the church and grew up in the word of god and they were learning they didn't know everything they were young christians but we were learning together i remember as a young boy when my dad realized that alcohol was not something that should be in his home and he had just bought a great big entertainment set of alcohol he wasn't a drunk, but he had this kind of mini bar that he was going to use in, in his job. It was o- over here in Chicago. That night he went home from church and poured it all down the toilet. Just kept flushing it all. Just flushing that stuff. But those are good things. Those taught me things that are worth knowing and teaching and remembering. bringing up in the, good, in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Bible says that in Psalm 128, children are be like plants around the table. Today, I think a lot of the dinner table is missing in homes today. I don't know about you, but we don't have TV in our home. We have a screen in our home, and we can use it if we want to for a video or something. But most people are eating in front of a screen all the time. And rarely does a family sit down together and have a meal together. We, we get busy, especially as our kids got older, but there's always a time where we just sit around and talk and visit for a little bit of time. And remember that family unity. <clears throat> but I love what it says in 3 John, verse 4. I have no greater joy than to hear my children walk in truth. My wife took a picture of the breakfast Room that the hotel had this morning, and she posted it to all of our family, all of our, you know, our, all of our kids, including our daughter that just got married. Look what we had for breakfast. She was bragging about the breakfast that Holiday Inn makes pretty good breakfast. And uh, our oldest son, 24 years old, he snapped a picture of a chewy granola bar. Said, "Here's mine, <laughs> bachelor, you know." And then our daughter said, I made breakfast for our Sunday school class this morning. In her new home, in her new church. Halfway across the country. And as much as I don't like it that she's not in our church, in our Sunday school, I have no greater joy than knowing that my children are still walking in truth. That's what she is raised for. To serve the Lord. You... Uh, You probably read about that donkey that Jesus sent two disciples into the the city to find that donkey. And they said, when you find him, just tell the owners the Lord has need of him. Sure enough, they went into the city and they found a colt tied, started to untie the colt. And the owner, hey, what are you doing untying the colt? The Lord needs him. Oh, no more questions. I kind of felt like that a couple weeks ago. Hey, hey, what are you doing with my daughter? The Lord needs her. Oh, well, that's different. This Sunday's Palm Sunday, right? That's what that story's all about. The Lord needs her. That, that, that's why she was tied up all this time. So that the Lord could use her when he was ready. That, that's, that's what b- being a parent really is. It's just keeping them tied up. Keep them reserved until the Lord needs him or her. That's what it says, bringing up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I sure wish the Lord would call at least one of my kids to work in my church and to live in my neighborhood. But I have to remember, I raised them to serve him, not to serve me. I said I don't like spoiled kids. I became a spoiled dad. I had these kids kind of serving me all this time. It's not for me. It's for him. And when they realize their life's for him too, it's not for themselves. That's what it's about. It's about serving the Lord and, and bringing that five talents and making ten talents out of it and taking what God's given to us and, doing, and hearing, well done, Thou good and faithful servant. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to be parents. I know there are people that maybe were never blessed with children, they didn't have the opportunity to be a parent. But I also know there are plenty of people in this church that are parents. There are children that are being raised by people who aren't perfect, but they want to serve you. Help children to obey. Help them to understand the purpose that you have for their parent was to help them and teach them and lead them. Help these young people understand that even Jesus had a stepdad and he had to obey him and honor him. Help help these young people to learn to obey and to be thankful for their parents. Help fathers to not provoke their children to wrath, but to love their mothers and to be Not hypocrites, but very open and honest with their family. Following you, walking with you. And help us to raise godly children that will one day be whatever you have them to be. Maybe it won't be close to home, but it will be exactly what you had for them. Help us to remember that's the point, that's the purpose. is to give them back to you and allow you to take them just as Hannah brought her son Samuel to you help us to be that kind of parent, not selfish, not lazy, but motivated as good stewards of what you've given us and that we would give them back to you in better condition than we found them. And we praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.